Thank you, Alan. Happy Thanksgiving and blessed Advent. Yeah, as I mentioned to a few folks, I said, yeah, I think this is for Advent. We're going to use the, the title Christmas Change. And they looked at me and said, you're crazy. You know, you don't put Christmas and change in the same sentence in the church. You know, I mean, that's just going to cause all kinds of trouble. And I said, well, but you tell me. You know, what do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate the birth of a baby. And I know nothing in this world that brings more change than introducing a baby into your home. That changes everything. So introducing a baby into the world is going to change everything for everybody. Now I know we've, we've actually had eight babies introduced to our home because we foster cared five of them over the course of five or six years in addition to three of our own. And every one of them totally changed our world. Sleep patterns. They went out the window. Eating patterns. They went out the Expectations of life. Just wanted to make it through a day without a blowout. You know, and, and, and I didn't mean a tire going flat on that. You know, and so the, this first Sunday of Advent, as we look at the birth of a baby that brings cataclysmic change. I mean, sound barrier breaking kind of change that a baby born in a stable in Bethlehem brings to the world. I mean, it's not that God's changing. It's that God is introducing His change into the world. He is bringing to us in even clearer ways what it means for us to live for God, to, to live in biblical language, the kingdom of God, to live according to, to God's way of life. And that brings huge change into our lives and into the life of this world. You know, there, are, there are times that the ways of the world can invade into the church or into God's people. Whether it's Israel or, or the church. Ways that, that, that we fall into the same traps of the ways of the world. Where we, we think we need the right people to be with us. Where we need the good people to be a part of the, the church. And that's, that's wrong. What we'll see today, that in Christmas, this first Sunday of Advent, that what Jesus brings, this birth of a baby brings, is an invitation to all people. Whether they come to church before, or whether they've been here a hundred times. Whether they interrupt us in the middle of a worship service, or whether they're nice and quiet. The invitation is to all. To come. Everybody is invited. Jesus has no favorites. Now, that, that wasn't the case in Jesus' day even. They, they, they had favorites. It was rabbinical law. That if, if your mother wasn't Jewish, then either were you. Last I checked, we didn't have anything to do with who we were born to. But according to rabbinical law, if your mother wasn't Jewish, then you weren't either. There's a famous prayer that makes its way around that was a prayer of blessing. In, among God's people, uh, it was a long time ago, mind you, but it was still God's people. 
And their, their prayer as they began their day was a prayer of thanksgiving. Dear God, thank you that I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That was the prayer. Yeah, and it's good that you get the woe at least on part of it. Now, most of the men in here who aren't Gentile or slaves are like, huh, sounds like a good prayer. But the point of that prayer and the point that that was God's people tells us that we have a penchant to live according to the ways of the world instead of according to the ways of God. And that the birth of Jesus explodes on the scene and makes it clear to us, as we'll see in a moment, in some rather odd ways, that Jesus' invitation is to all people. And therefore, God's people, as an organization, as a church, is to be for all people. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Speak to us uh, this time, right, right now. May your spirit continue to, uh, to open our eyes to, to see and hear from you. That you indeed would continue to bring your change through Jesus, through the power of your spirit, into our lives together and wherever we go. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, our passage uh, this, this morning is... Uh, the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It's on 783 in your pew Bible, if you want to look at it there, or you can follow along on the screen. Not one that you would normally think would be something that would be a real exciting, compelling passage, because it's the beginning of Jesus' genealogy. Uh, we're going to tell just who his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was and then a few after that and just follow through just the beginning part of it. But as we read this, I um, uh, want you to uh, just listen for some of the ways that maybe it's different. There are surprising entries in this genealogy, especially when you reference it compared to that prayer that I just prayed of that first century prayer of blessing. All right, uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, one thing, just to note here, this is free, this little part here. But it's, I think it's really interesting, and I think Matthew meant something by it. Because an account of the genealogy, those first five words there, the, the, the top of the, the screen there, it's actually in the Greek two words. And it's biblios geneseal. And what that Really, it says, what it can be translated as, the book of Genesis. It's the same words that are used for book and Genesis. It's just, you can see how Genesis, where you come from, your beginning, it could be genealogy. But I think Matthew is really pointing to saying, you know, the book of Genesis in the beginning is the birth of the world. Well, here we're going to begin the book of Genesis, the birth of the Savior of the world. And he then gives his genealogy. So, a, then, so the next sentence. Abraham was father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon. 
And Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Do you notice anything in that genealogy that might be sort of out of place, unusual, especially as you compared it to that prayer of blessing? That you weren't a slave or a Gentile or a woman. I'm sorry? Ah, they, they used a couple women, actually. They named a couple women in there. Correct? Four. Well, actually, three are named specifically. And then a fourth is referred to. All right? There's, there's, there's Tamar. There's Ruth. Um, there's the... Uh, uh, the, the last one is um, the wife of Uriah. didn't say Bathsheba. Um, and then the, the third one is uh, um, Rahab. Now, that's... In fir- you know how some of you, who I'm very thankful for, reacted with shock to that prayer of blessing? First century readers would have read this and reacted with shock. Why would you put women in this list? I mean, these four, and this, it's not that you get every woman. If you're going to get women in the list, why not put, you know, Jewish women in the list? You know, Sarah, put Sarah in there. You know, why not put her in the do, do those folks, not these. But why are these four women placed in there? Well, they're women and they're Gentiles. So they're, they're doubly dis- unblessed, according to the prayer. And uh, we'll, we'll find, in some cases as well, uh, they were of, uh, had interesting stories to their lives and weren't really the kind of stories that you talk about at Thanksgiving dinner when you're sharing family stories. But these women, first and foremost, what you see, they were women and they were Gentiles. They were not of the nation of Israel. Uh, They they did not have the right birth line. They did not have the, the right story in their lives because they were not Jewish. Part of the reason that Matthew included them here was to say... The birth of this child brings about this kind of change in my people that you're, you're not going to count their birthright. You're, this invitation that Jesus brings is for all, not to a select few. It will, it will not involve nor concern their race, their ethnicity, their age, their intellectual capacity. It will not concern their rap sheet or their wealth their family dysfunction or personality, whether they're weird or not, that doesn't matter. Jesus came for them. And you know, we seek to live that out. We pray about it every time that we gather, where we we say, you know, we want to be folks that are connected in Jesus no matter our differences. 
We know that's what we want. And we know that's right. We know that this is true. We, we see this in Matthew's genealogy. And we're sort of like, huh, that's cool. I never read it before. I usually always skipped it. But never knew that that was in here. But it makes sense that, that from the beginning, God has been calling all people to himself. That's been his plan all along. And that's what we want to be about. We know that and we say that and we pray that. We know it's right in our mind, but we also know it's really easy to say, but much different to live. We know that in our society, right? I mean, the, the discussion over the last couple of weeks about immigration reform, the discussion, if we could call it that, around Ferguson, Missouri. What do those show but how difficult it is for us to be connected with one another in spite of our differences? Whether they're opinions, political persuasions. Are those things greater than Jesus? The answer to that is no, if you're questioning. And we're committed to living into that. Not just talking about it, not just praying about it. We're, we're committed to living this out, this genealogy. It's not just a fancy little uh, um, literary device that Matthew brings us. He, he's communicating truth. What it means for Christmas change is that we are connected in Jesus no matter our differences, and we're committed to living that out. I mean, the, the gospel has been multi-ethnic since the very beginning. It's been God's plan from the beginning, and it's His plan for the church. That's why at the end of Matthew... You have Jesus telling us that he's going to be our authority and he sends us out to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them and that he will be with us till the end of the age. At the beginning and the end of the gospel, Matthew is presenting this truth and we're committed to pursuing it and living out. Even though in our society, largely, the different opinions around things like immigration reform in Ferguson, Missouri, they align themselves a lot with race and ethnicity and background. But we're committed, no matter where we are, on our understanding and opinion of those events, to being united in Jesus. And the way that we do that is we learn to listen. To one another. Not try to coerce, not try to convince, but we learn to share and listen openly and honestly with one another. And is what from what I've seen in a lot of how this gets portrayed in the public media and other places, is there's not a place to do that very well. And we're committed to being that place. So I just decided to set up a meeting at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night um, here. And what we're going to do there is listen. We're going to just listen to one another around how you understand and experience what goes on at Ferguson, Missouri. That's what we're going to do. Set up a place just to listen to one another. Not try to convince each other. uh, Certainly um, not try to coerce, but simply to understand one another. Because what we're committed to is being unified in Jesus no matter our differences.
Now, I just decided to do that as I was preparing for the sermon. And, you know, the church has been closed all week, and so I didn't bother anybody to ask them if we could do that. I do have a key, so, uh, you know, I can get in. But, you know, there, I don't know what room we'll be in, but we'll be in some room. There'll be some space that whoever wants to come and listen to one another can. Because the invitation from Jesus is to everyone. And the church of Jesus Christ is to be about everyone following Jesus together. Doesn't matter birthright, nationality, gender, race, or ethnicity, or anything else, except following after Jesus together. Now, it's also not, not just you know, ethnicity and those kind of things, but also whether or not we're even good enough. To follow Jesus. He doesn't say that invitation is for everyone who's good enough. Everyone who is, has their ducks in a row. Because common to three of the women that are mentioned here, again, that will draw your attention because it's so unusual, they have a rather scandalous past history. Like I said, it's not the story you're going to share at the main Thanksgiving meal. You're going to share it, but you're going to wait till the invited guests leave and the kids go to bed. And then you share the story of this part of your family history. Even Matthew didn't mention Bathsheba. He just said, well, the wife of Uriah. In a way, wanting to be sure you knew, well, wait a minute. David had a baby with the wife of Uriah. You know, you can read through that and just sort of blur right through it. But then you're like, whoa, what's the story here? And as you recall, you know, Uriah was not only a story of adultery, but also murder. And that's in Jesus' story. My favorite is uh, Tamar. Because it's not the one that's the most common, but it's, it's the most intriguing and involved. And it's Genesis 38. I'm not making this up. Somebody at the first service said, you know, you've know, you got to believe the Bible. Who would make this stuff up and then say it's a holy book? You know, I mean, this, is, this is here. But, but Tamar, right? Tamar is, is married to, to Ur, all right? And Ur is the son of Judah, all right? Now, Ur dies, all right? And so then Tamar wants Judah, who's the father-in-law, says, all right, Tamar, you need to marry my second son, who's Onan. And, uh, and then Onan's supposed to have relations with Tamar, and they're going to have children so that Tamar's inheritance is carried out and Tamar's taken care of. Well, what happens is Onan doesn't want to divide the inheritance from his children um, that he has with any children from Tamar. So he does not fulfill his obligations. You can read the details in the, the book. Um, but the... Uh, and so, then God brings judgment on Onan and he dies. Well, at that time, Judah, he says out of one side of his mouth, well, you know what, you can have, when, when my son Shelah wakes, um, when he grows up, he's young now, when he grows up, you can be married to him and then you'll have children through him, that'll take care of you. Well, he says that out of one side of his mouth, but what he really thinks is that something's wrong with Tamar, that she's cursed, so then he just isolates himself from her. Right? Doesn't return any of her text. He de- uh, unfriends her on Facebook. You know, he, he blocks her phone calls on his cell phone so that they never connect anymore. And Tamar, she gets the hint. 
and realizes what's so here she is. She's going to be um, husbandless and childless and really just lost in that world. So what she decides to do is she finds out where Judah is going to go on this journey. And so she places herself in the pathway that Judah's going to go. Now, Judah, just one moment about Judah. Judah's not just any old character. Judah's one of the top 12. You know, he's one of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Jesus is the lion of Judah. He's in the tribe of Judah. So this is, you know, Israel's son, Judah. So Tamar puts herself across Judah's path and dresses as a prostitute. Covers a veil. Uh, puts a veil over her face, covers her face, dresses as a prostitute. Judah walks by and sees her, and she talks to him, and pun intended here, and she tricks him into then having relations with her. And in payment for that, he, he gives her a couple things, but one of them is his signet ring. You have a ring that would be known by him. And so, but he, he doesn't know. So he then goes on, finishes his trip. Tamar goes home. I think it's three months later, word gets out that Tamar has been playing the streets and that now she's pregnant. Well, Judah is rightly incensed that his daughter-in-law would do such a thing and he then is bound her to fire and death because of such a horrible thing that she would do to bring shame on the family name until a messenger comes. says, there's a woman here. Or, or, no, Tamar has sent this saying, this is the father of the children that I'm carrying. And when Judah sees the signet ring, he then has an aha epiphany. Organ starts, he is filled with the grace of the Lord, and he says, forgive her, mercy to her. And she has twins, and one of them is part of the lineage. Perez is then Jesus, great, 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 great grandfather. When Jesus says, brings change with his birth, he brings invitation to all. The good and the bad, the pretty and the ugly. Jesus doesn't care. He plays no favorites. And as his church, we are learning and growing into being Jesus' people into not playing favorites, into doing all we can to welcome all to know and follow and love Jesus and experience the fullness of life that only He can bring. Jesus, a little later on in Matthew, Matthew 9, said, you know, that I've come not for the righteous but for sinners. cataclysmic, sound-barrier-breaking kind of change that Jesus brings is an invitation to any and all who will simply turn to Him. The passage I want to end with is in John uh, chapter 1. And let this this be uh, our passage uh, for for this, this week of Advent as we consider...
the change that a baby brings, that Christmas brings. You got John 1? Barry, thank you. Talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Just leave that up on the screen, um, Barry. But to all, to any and all, I mean, if, if you're here today, you're, you're wanting to, to believe in Jesus. You've got a checkered past. Your family has a crazy, messed up story. You've got a crazy, messed up story. Maybe you're a prostitute. Maybe you're a murderer. Well, you fit right into Jesus' family, don't you? We all do. We, we fit into His family. As we are fully aware of our own sin and brokenness, then we are at the right place, at the feet of Jesus, who invites all to come to Him, to follow Him. doesn't matter how we were born in the blood or the will of the flesh. What matters, we were born by God to come to Jesus. I want us to say together uh, these last uh, two verses. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Let's say this together. But to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Amen.